Did you know that 70% of the estimated 1 billion poor are women? And that over 500 million people are dependent on coffee for their livelihoods, 25 million of whom are coffee farmers? Women working on coffee farms are often seen as invisible. They're prevented from owning land, opening bank accounts, forming collectives, and the list goes on. That reality gave a Duluth, Minnesota-based social entrepreneur an idea, and a new coffee company was born. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. On today's episode, we speak with Eliza Bobot, the founder of City Girl Coffee, an offshoot of the coffee roasting company her parents started in 1990. In our conversation, Eliza shares what inspired her to source her coffee from women-owned or women-managed farms around the world, and why the cause is attracting a growing customer base looking for more than just a cup of joe. It was from getting involved with the International Women's Coffee Alliance that I really became aware of the inequality still facing women at the country of origin or, you know, country of origins where coffee is and are coming from. Mm-hmm. And so I and sort of simultaneously, you know, again, my background is in marketing. And so I was getting reacquainted with um, the industry and meeting all these really amazing and fascinating women and sort of simultaneously was looking for a way to differentiate ourselves in the Minneapolis and St. Paul markets because when I came back, it became really clear to me really quickly that um, the things that we did that, that differentiated ourselves, you know, that differentiated us even 10 or 15 years ago really were not differentiators for us anymore because oh, now, yeah. right, the market has gotten so saturated. Throw a, a, a stone in the street and you hit like 50 independent coffee shops. <laughs> yeah. um, <clears throat> and that's just not how it was, 50, you know, 27, 20, you know, 25, 27 years ago. And so going out and, and trying to, uh, you know, gain new customers. And we've been very fortunate, you know, in that we've built an amazing loyal customer base um, just by offering a really high quality product and really amazing customer service. We Great loyal uh, customers who have been with us for years and years and years and years and years, but now going out and trying to get new customers and sort of infiltrate new markets, it was kind of like, oh, well, our, our, you know, our roaster's fine and they do this too and it's all good. You know, yeah. there's there's not a, really enough of a reason here for us to make a switch and the coffee's great. So that's sort of, you know, the one piece of the conversation that's happening and again, my background in marketing, and that was really fun for me to think about, okay, what can we do differently and how can we um, get ourselves involved and, and integrated more into these different markets and um, different areas. And so that piece was really fun for me. And then I was at a breakfast for the International Women's Coffee Alliance in 2014, and I heard a gentleman tell us from Columbia tell a story about a husband and wife who owned a farm in Colombia, and unfortunately the husband had to be, uh, had to go off and fight in the war in Colombia and, and was killed. And so the wife took ownership of their farm and a key piece of their machinery broke down. And so she went to the banks of Colombia to ask for a loan and they refused it to her because she's a woman. And so again, I just was sitting in this audience, you know, my background's in counseling, just thinking it's 2014. This is insane to me. Like this, this is still, 
a thing, you know? Um, and so that's when that was one of those light bulb moments where I just went, that's it. That's, that's what we're going to do. Cause we have to do more. And so we decided to, to source coffee from women owned, managed farms, cooperatives in the States, and then work with organizations like the Cafe Feminine Organization and the International Women's Coffee Alliance to actually give a percent of, or, or a portion of our profits directly back to those women and really create a much more sustainable coffee industry. Perfect. Okay. And, um, and this started what what was the year 2014 or did you did you so it started to conceptualize in 2014 and then we officially launched in 2015 okay so what exactly how does the so what what is comprised of the business right now um, so, so- yep we look for essentially what we're looking for is that women have some sort of say and ownership or management um, that they have access to you know finance or or something of that sort so they're not just working on the farm but they actually have a significant role in the farm. That's okay. really okay. that's really the goal. Yeah. Okay. And how many countries or producers or women own women managed farms are you currently um, working with sourcing from? Yeah. So right now we're sourcing from about ten, and our hope is that we can source from many more soon. Okay. Um, we're actually making sort of a shift in our packaging. So we're losing a little bit of the information, um, but that, that information can now live on our website. And then it, it allows us to um, be able to source a little bit more freely. So if there's a, you know, Rwandan coffee that someone that, you know, that we come across or, or, um, you know, a Kenyan coffee or, or whatever it is, yeah. and there's one or two bags of them that we can just quickly access that and, and sell it. And so what are the primary markets right now? The the countries you mentioned, um, are those like Colombia and Kenya you mentioned? Is there others that uh, stick out as, as ones that come up very often for you that, that are popular coffees? Yeah. Um, so right now, I mean, we're sourcing from Brazil, Honduras, uh, Colombia, Peru, Mexico, Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, Sumatra. Uh, Guatemala, I'm forgetting some, but I mean, really, yeah, those are, yeah, yeah good examples. Yeah. I just wanted Central examples. South, yeah. yeah, Central South America, um, Africa, East Indonesia. So I can tell you the IWCA alone has 18 chapters, right, worldwide. Um, and so I actually now sit on the board of that organization. That's allowed me to have much greater access to some of these women and just a, an easier channel. Um, to, you know, women in the Philippines, to women in Africa. So it's really, I mean, and what's cool for me is when we started this idea a few years ago, you know, initially it was sort of me going to, again, these relationships with these importers that we had established and saying, here's my idea. You know, do you have any women owned or women managed farms or cooperatives that you already have partnerships with or relationships with as a starting point? And it was sort of, fewer and far between. It was sort of, yeah, we've got a couple here and a couple there. And now as we've sort of progressed over the last couple of years, um, the number of times that we get sort of notified by our importers that, hey, you know, we've got this new woman lot in, we've got this new new woman lot from here or from over there, um, that's becoming much more frequent. So it's encouraging to me that this is something that's by no means going away. It's just going to continue to grow because it's really, beca- you know, people, especially in our industry or just in general, are really becoming aware of how important it is to um, 
to to invest in women in these countries where the, the coffee is coming from. It was interesting. I actually was listening to a podcast the other day um, with Rain Wilson from mm-hmm. from the office. Yeah. Um, and, and he was talking about so he and his wife went to Haiti before the earthquake and really fell in love with Haiti then. And, you know, two weeks later, the hotel that they had stayed in, like completely got demolished and everyone inside perished. It just put everything really into perspective for them. And so they've created this new um, project where they're focusing on educating women in Haiti. And he was saying that he, you know, um, he didn't cite his source, but he was saying, you know, the number one way to end world poverty is by educating females. Mm -hmm just investing in them. And so it's exciting when you hear stuff like that to say, okay, we're on the, we're on to something here. We're on the right track. Um, this isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Very cool. And so do you get to actually see the impact on the ground? Do you, have you any way of knowing that it's making a difference? So one of, um, you know, it's a little bit hard to quantify, but one of, one example is, so, um, a couple of years ago I was in Atlanta, again, at another sort of industry, um, conference and breakfast, and I was fortunate enough to meet one of the farmers from the cooperative in Guatemala that we sourced from mm-hmm. with, through the Cafe Femenino organization. And, you know, we had our coffee there. And so she was actually able to see like the finished product in its packaging that was being delivered to customers. And she was just so grateful. And she was saying that it's because of roasters like me that they are now able to, they have a honey project on their cooperative. Um, they have like a flower project. Hmm. Uh, they're doing jewelry and clothing and they're, you know, because they were able to be supported in their coffee, <clears throat> um, excuse me. And because they were able to be supported in, in their, in their coffee pieces and their coffee farms, um, they're now able to support their families and put food on their tables. And that was just really move. You know, it was, she was, yeah. I mean, close to tears. It was, she was just so grateful that, that we were supporting them and, and they were able to be profitable and sustainable and so, yeah, so it's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a, it's a little hard to know, you know, okay, we're, we're, these women are so far away. Is this really making a difference? And then you hear stories like that and, and that's not the only one. And you think, okay, yeah, what we're doing here is, is really having some impact. And how are your consumers, uh, customers responding? What's, what's been the, so far, what have you been hearing? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it was interesting initially, um, when I was conceptualizing this brand and, and this idea, some people sort of looked at me like, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty feminine. You're going to immediately, um, you know, somebody, I was doing another podcast last week and someone said, you're unapologetically feminine. Um, and I said, if you know me, I'm just unapologetic anyways, <laughs> That's sort of who I am. That's my personality. Um, I just kind of go for it. And if it works, it works. If not, then, you know, yeah, um, it's all good. So um, you know, I think some people were just sort of like, eh, it's a little feminine. It might alienate men. I mean, you know, you're really putting kind of all your eggs in one, in one female basket. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, that, that having a cause is nice, but it's not enough to drive sales. Right. I mean, it's not enough to motivate people. You know, if the price point is, is significant, mm-hmm. it's not going to move. Um, and I can say one of the re- local retailers here, they did a coffee reset, about a year ago, and we were part of uh, part of that coffee reset. One of the brands that they brought in. Mm-hmm. A year later, having a meeting with them, and they, te- you know, they're telling us that we outsold every other coffee in the category mm-hmm. um, throughout the year, and so that was really exciting for us. So I think, you know, the message that we keep getting time and time again is that that the cause is enough. That people <clears throat> that people want to feel connected 
to what they're purchasing. They want to feel connected to something bigger than themselves. And by, by being invested in our brand and being invested in our story and what we're doing, they feel like they're a little part of that and they're making a difference. And that's, you know, we just get so many awesome people who are like, we just love what you're doing. We just think it's amazing. We want to support you in any way we can. Um, so it's just been phenomenal. Yeah. And I was going to say, do you know, that's a, that's a common conversation where people always talk about, you know, that if you're putting too much emphasis in, in the cause and the mission and then to the detriment of, of potential revenues or profitability, but you make a, a good point. People, if people do care a lot about that cause and they will, um, they, they will, you know, maybe be more interested in purchasing it, but at the same time, there has to be great quality product, which it seems like there is too. So that helps it all, yeah. it all kind of comes yeah. together, right? For sure. And I think, you know, again, I was listening to another podcast where um, they were sort of saying that for years and years and years, they were doing surveys of college graduates asking them, what are they looking for in jobs? Um, and, you know, it was always money or location or whatever it was. And within the last three years, there's been this shift that for the first time, college graduates aren't saying that they're saying they want to feel connected to a cause. And I think that that's really also relevant um, in purchasing patterns with millennials and um, and other generations beyond that. But I think that, you know, you just have seen such a shift in, in products and consumer behavior. Um, and so, you know, for us too, when we're, when we're, you know, sort of selling it to retailers or um, consumers directly or, or what have you, I mean, we just, again, are sort of unapologetically – unapologetic, um, <laughs> I guess just period. Yes. Um, you know, it's sort of like, this is, yeah, it's going to, it might be a little bit more expensive, but we also beyond, you know, as a company, beyond making sure that these women are getting access to resource and education as a company, we also feel that it's really important to, um, you know, pay a fair wage and offer benefits and, um, you know, to the best of our ability as a small business. And we have to build that in. And so it's sort of, you know, if this price works for you, um, great. If not, then that's okay. But we aren't going to really compromise here because everybody needs to make a good living and everybody um, needs to be supported. So mm-hmm. if that works, great. If not, then then that's okay too. Not everybody's going to be our target consumer. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I think, you know, our purchasing, pur- purchasing patterns are different for City Girl. We're not purchasing necessarily large quantities. So we don't necessarily have access to the best pricing. Um, So we're essentially going, you know, sometimes we're just getting a few bags from some of these women. And so we're essentially going to these women and saying, what do you need us to pay so that you can produce next year? Um, And sometimes that's, you know, four or $5 a bag of coffee and then production and everything else. And, and so, yeah, it, 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 it adds up and it becomes um, just a different pricing structure. What's your vision for the mm-hmm. race where you see it going? Yeah, I mean, I think um, obviously we'd, we'd like to see growth expansion into markets we're not currently in and expanding a little bit beyond this sort of immediate Midwest boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're looking into some opportunities there. And I think, you know, again, initially, I think the growth comes from City Girl, but with the rebranding um, and sort of the repositioning of Alicef, I think that will allow us to present both brands to these new and emerging markets. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, again, a lot of people look at 
um, growth just in terms of sales, sales, sales. And for us, it's about maintaining profitability and maintaining integrity of our company culture and our consistency and our quality and our, our customer service and making and sort of, you know, I'm very clear with my my sales team, particularly that, hey, not everybody is going to be our perfect customer and it's not going to make sense to partner with everybody because we might have to sacrifice one or more of these things to be partners with that that person or, or that company. And I'm just not willing to do that. So however growth happens is great and I'm excited about it. But again, I'm not willing to put sort of our, our core fundamentals as a company and what we're doing and what we're trying to, to, to create here um, at risk. Mm-hmm. I hear curious to hear what lessons learned you've had so far um, or advice for others, uh, you know, just in, in terms of launching and maintaining it and, and, and pushing it forward. What would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think um, a big thing is to not – not overstretch yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. don't take on too much, really focus on one thing and do it well and then move on to the next thing and and so forth and so on. And also just knowing your limitations. I mean, knowing what you excel at and, and what you might fall short and, and hiring or surrounding yourself with people who, who fill in your vacancies for a, a lack of a better word, you know, um, and for me, it was knowing what resources within my community were available to me for free. So, yeah. you know, I think a lot of <clears throat> I, I was very blessed. I'm a, a very different in a very different situation in that I came into a company that was already profitable and very well established and yes. had an amazing team that knew much more than I did. And so I was able to just jump in and bounce off and move to the next thing sort of very quickly. But that's not the case for a lot of younger entrepreneurs or startup entrepreneurs where you have to wear every single hat because you don't have any option. You don't, you can't afford to pay somebody to do the things that you're not good at. So you just kind of have to figure it out. But there are, I mean, within our community, you know, there's the small, the small business association, there's Mita, there's Minnesota PTAC, there's the, um, say Thomas, uh, uh, Center for Economic Small Business Development, um, and all these organizations are free, and they're free resources, and they'll help you put together a business plan, or they'll help you, you know, they'll, help, they'll go through your financials with you and make sure that you're looking at your cash flow and your balance sheet and your P&L correctly, and mm-hmm. um, you know, they'll they'll help you figure out a marketing plan and and give you access to um, investors at some point if that's something you're looking for, or bank financing, or or what have you. And so I think that for you know that is to me, one of the biggest things that I can say to, to anybody who's getting into business is number one, make sure that you're passionate about what you're doing. Because I, I hear a lot of people say, you know, I want all my business because I want to work for myself so I can just make up my own hours. And I, and I look at them and I say, so all the hours, <laughs> not, you know, it's not like, yes, you know, the flexibility can be nice at times, but you know, it's like when you're on vacation, you, you, you can't just like put an out of office on and shut it off. I mean, you're still, yeah. you have to be accessible. And I think just some people, a lot of people don't really think through that, um, all the way. Yeah. And, and, um, and then, you know, again, making sure that you're, it can be lonely. It can be a lonely little Island sometimes when you're an entrepreneur. And so again, surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded and who have resources that you maybe don't and, and can help you get there. And then um, self-care, because I think, again, it is, it's really easy to work every hour of every day. And it's, that's a, a recipe for burnout really fast. And so making sure that you're spending time with your family or you're spending time with your friends or you're taking time to just 
um, you know, meditate even 10 minutes a day. It can, can go a long way to um, sanity. <laughs> Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Brimbaugh.